This is Mindset for Success, a We Global Studios podcast. We explore the familiar, but not often talked about, deep-rooted emotional experiences that successful females have when setting up their businesses, and we learn how they overcame them. Hello, I'm your host, Dr. Leslie Knudsen. I'm very excited to welcome to today's show, Jill Ferretti Lloyd. Welcome, Jill, and thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Leslie. Jill is a leader in the women's wealth space and is inspired to help women create agency with their capital. With decades of experience in financial services and philanthropy, Jill joined UBS Wealth Management in 2021 to help founders and their families navigate successful financial transitions. She accomplishes this by providing resources ranging from access to late stage capital through UBS's global reach and family office distribution, M&A through UBS, and their network of boutique investment banks, and by providing in-depth pre-transaction planning, tax planning, estate planning, and philanthropic planning, all of which set women up to become ever more powerful change agents in the world. Jill, would you mind sharing with our listeners a bit about your journey to a very successful Wall Street career? And then briefly, why were you drawn back to work exclusively with female clients and specifically female entrepreneurs? So when I got to be a bit older and I had delayed having a child, I, uh, I made the decision to leave Wall Street because at the time you really couldn't do what it was that I was doing. And I didn't think I could be the kind of mother that I wanted. So I took a break. Mm-hmm. I left Wall Street and I had my daughter who's fabulous. And I went to school for a little while because I was interested in design, interior design, because I'm quite creative and decided after six months at school, I'm like, hey, I can run an interior design business. So I partnered up with my stepmother and we opened Lloyd Norris and we ran that for a while. And by year three, we had a million dollars of revenue, which is mm-hmm. quite say, saying something. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after three years, I was like, you know, actually, I really don't, I don't want to be <laughs> mm-hmm. an interior designer. And then my career sort of took a turn and I was tapped to help run a uh, foundation. And I did that for about nine years uh, working in the not-for-profit space, which was really fulfilling work in community work. And then when my daughter turned 13, in her infinite wisdom, she said, mommy, I don't want to go to school in New York City. I want to go to boarding school. And I was like, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I gave it all up for you. Um, okay. Mm-hmm. So we drew, drew a circle around our house up in Connecticut and said, okay, you can go here, here, or here. And she picked one of those schools and we made it work. But when she told me she wanted to go to boarding school, I said, okay, then I'm going back to work for money. But this time I wanted to work directly with people as opposed to working with institutions. Um, I enjoyed the personal engagement that I learned in running my design firm. I enjoyed the problem solving of being a leader of an organization. And I knew that I was skilled at simplifying complex issues for others. So that was right around um, the time that I started learning about the wealth transfer, which I'm sure your community is familiar with through women's own wealth generation 
and through a double inheritance windfall. By the year 2030, women are going to own two-thirds of our nation's wealth. Mm-hmm. I mean, two-thirds. So I knew that given my background in finance and knowing how few women I connected with who were actually engaged in their personal finances, I knew that there was a business opportunity. Mm-hmm. So I created a business plan. I interviewed dozens of ultra high net worth women. Why are you engage- not engaging with the financials in your partnership? Wh- what are you not getting? What, what do you want more of? And I took that business plan to all of the major investment firms in New York. And I said, you know, here is the next growth market for wealth management. And I'd love to come in and build this business for you. And one by one, they all looked at me and said, oh, that is so sweet. (laughs) Yeah, no, we don't do it like that. But you'll be fabulous. Why don't you come sit with Tom, Dick, and Harry? Mm -hmm. And you can be the token female on the desk. And, you know, having been the token female on the desk for so many years, I said, you know, that's just not enough to get me out of bed in the morning. And so, you know, when I heard, no, that doesn't work, I said, okay, I got to double down here. I love, I know you're wrong. So I eventually joined a firm called Evercore, which is an investment bank, and they have a a registered investment advisory business. And while I was there, I built out their women's investor platform. And that really helped me have a place to normalize talking about money, normalize women networking and building out their networks and building an ecosystem of women helping women. And then about two years ago, I get a phone call from UBS, a recruiter at UBS saying, oh, my God, finding you is like finding a unicorn. Mm. Um, There's nobody out there doing what you're doing. And, you know, I'm not saying you can write your own ticket, but you can write your own ticket. What do you want? UBS wants you. Mm. And I was like, damn, that was a long, that was a long journey from being an only to being really wanted um, in my mid-50s. So that's, that's the long and short of my story. Why do you think it was so hard for people to see what you saw, just out of curiosity? It's the way we've always done it, is mm-hmm. probably one of the most frustrating li- um, you know, know. phrases <laughs> that I, I hear in life. But, uh, you know, there's a lot to lose. And I think once firms started realizing and knowing that 70% of all widows leave their husband's financial advisor within the first year of his death. Why? Because, you know, that advisor, he never talked to me. He never told me I had to know these things. He would only talk to me about the kids. And, you know, those widows are like, I I need my own team. I need my own people. And they're moving. And so the big firms are starting to understand that. And they're starting to put resources in this space. You got to be careful Mm -hmm. that it's not wrapped in pink. It, mm-hmm. But that that it's really helping women create the futures that they want to see. So in some way, you're sort of being the father, your father, how your father was with you, which is really encouraging, supporting, pushing through the idea that you can do it. You don't have to be scared. Yeah, he he was the ultimate hype master. I'm I'm sure it's funny. You know, when I left Wall Street, he took me out to lunch, and there's seven kids in my family, and he said you got to go back to work. You of all my kids need to stay in the game. You're the one. And I was like, you know, dad, I did it. I, you Mm -hmm. know, I did what I set out to do, but I hadn't been a mom and I really want to be a good mom. And he, and he was like, you know what, you got a good point there. So Mm -hmm. whatever direction I took, 
if, as long as I could explain myself, he was a wonderful supporter. When uh, you shared with me about being an ADHD survivor, just to try to kind of, you know, look at some of the psychological obstacles that sometimes happen to um, female founders such as yourself, why do you call this your superpower? Yeah, you know, I was the kind of kid that would climb on the roof of the house at age four or climb to the top of the pine tree. And I remember my mom had to call the fire department to get the <laughs> cherry picker to get me out. She, and she would say, why can't you be like your sister who can sit still and read a book? And I don't know. I just, nobody knew then what it was. And I didn't get diagnosed until, you know, maybe five years ago. But I know that my brain works differently than the status quo, right? My daughter is wants to be a lawyer. Her brain works completely differently than mine. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I've learned to embrace that difference and study it and come to understand it and mm -hmm. learn that I needed to create systems that work for me. And part of those systems is making sure that there's space for a lot of fun. So that things don't get too dire and grim. No, because, you know, when you have ADHD, you can go in a rabbit hole and stay there mm -hmm. forever if it's something you're interested in to the exclusion of your family, to mm -hmm. the exclusion of your health. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, wor it's working in habits that are healthful and provide wellness for you into your everyday life, but also having systems, right? Setting up you know, I'm a list writer. I have a big picture window in my office and I use my magic markers on the window to write inspirational things and the goals that I have to accomplish for the day. And I tick those things off. I'm, I'm an avid list maker. If I didn't have a list, things wouldn't get done. If I didn't have a count, if, if something's not on my calendar, it doesn't exist. So knowing what your systems are can help right. you function a lot better. And is that part of the reason why you find challenges interesting, uh, interesting problem solving? It's kind of a, it allows you to organize your thoughts and work in a really specific focused way. You know, because for some yeah. people, challenges can be overwhelming, right? I mean, it sort of depends on how you look at systems and look at being able to organize. Uh, I th that's a great question. You know, I, I go back to being creative because I do believe that people with ADHD are, are, mm -hmm, are very creative. Sure. Um, so I'm the sort of person that can, I like to throw spaghetti against the wall and see what sticks and then examine what's stick, stuck and why. I also think that, you know, challenge is failing. Failing is a great lesson, right? Because when you fail, you have to sit in your dirty diaper and live with that, right? And it's really uncomfortable, it gets itchy, you know, can you imagine? And when you're in that place of discomfort, that's when change comes, that's when enlightenment comes. As long as you don't move on too quickly and you sit and you study the challenge or the failure that you had. And how do you get the courage to do that? Tenacity, I suppose, you know, there's the, you know, these are overused terms, but grit, you know, grit, mm -hmm and resilience. And like, if I go back and I think about my father who had seven kids and he put us all through private school and he put us all through college, none of us walked away with a loan. And I think about all the stuff that he was able to do. That man just got up every day and he had grit and he got hit mm -hmm. in the face with a lot of failure, but he got up every time and he had resilience and being able to model that. Not only 
what he modeled for me, but for example, how I try to model for my daughter. For sure. Like I've been clear with her. I've been, I share with her my mistakes, right? I'll tell her a lot of stuff that perhaps other mothers might not think to tell their daughters and share the lessons and the pain that I went through. And it's not to keep her from having those experiences herself, but it's to keep, it's to help her be more prepared when they do come and forgive herself for failure and making mistakes. You also shared with me your love of athletics and then your thrill, no, that risks taking is thrilling. Mm. Would you mind sharing a little bit about that? Oh, well, you know, given my ADHD brain, as a young child, I was very, very athletic. And I went on to play college basketball and soccer at a time when you could actually play two sports. Now that would Mm -hmm. be completely impossible. Mm -hmm. So it was always in my DNA to be extremely active. And after I um, graduated college, I moved to Aspen, Colorado for a few years. And I'm love skiing. And you and I were just talking about Mm -hmm. skiing Mm -hmm. just now. And when I think about risk taking, I think about skiing. For anybody in your audience who skis, you know, unless you are leaning forward, unless you're over your skis, you're going to fall on your butt. You can't make that turn. You're always going to be on your back foot. And so, you know, in my mind, anything worth doing should make you a little scared. That's how I think about risk you're heightened, you know, your awareness is heightened when you're taking risk. Also getting back to your metaphor of skiing, you also have to get a little bit of, um, you, you have to go fast. You have to go a little bit fast to get down too. If you go slow, yeah. you're going to fall. So you have to be sort of forward leaning and going fast. And another analogy to that is you just got to get started. Yeah, yeah. You just got to get started. Throw that spaghetti at the wall. See what sticks. See what you can make of it as I'm sure many of your founders are doing at this Mm -hmm. moment. And by the way, a lot of the founders that I've interviewed also were athletic. There is something Mm -hmm. about being in a community where you have to train together and get through difficult times and support each other. Also take risks and do stuff that maybe you're not entirely sure you can do well. Got to get up and keep going when you fall down. You spoke about how important it is to ask for help from everybody. Have you always been like this or have you grown into this as you've advanced through your successful career? I think I've always been pretty good at asking for help. I am stubborn to some degree and, you know, I can do it. I can do it. As a little girl, I remember saying that when my older sister who was, could sit still would tell me I was doing it wrong. But, you know, as I became a young woman, I learned that sometimes you don't always get the parents that you need. So you should go out and find the parents that you want, right? Like what, what is it that you need as an adult to support you? You should find it. So that was my first lesson about how to ask for help, which was more on a personal level. On a professional level, it was hard, right? We talked a little bit about fitting in when you and I first chatted. My next thought, yes. Yeah. um, And, you know, in the early days of Wall Street, there I was an only, right? And I'm sure that many of your founders were onlys in their uh, work prior to them becoming entrepreneurs, which caused them to want to solve for problems so that they didn't feel like they were an only. I've learned how to figure out how to trust people 
who's trustworthy and then then ask for help you know there's politics and everything and mm -hmm. um there's treachery everywhere but mm -hmm. in my experience in this day and age i find um that i can get help from a lot of women maybe it's different than it was when I was younger, when mm -hmm. there was, you know, the, the older females who were the first generation executives, they wanted to be the only in the room. And um, sadly, they kind of kept everybody down. Uh, but in my generation, you know, I'm of the mindset that I want to pull women up and I want more with me. So being able to ask help from, you know, peers has been um, really rewarding. And I think that, you know, particularly for women leaders, that's kind of hard to do because when you're the boss uh, people, you can't really share your personal issues with them. So building a network for yourself of other women sort of at the same level is, is going to be, is going to be critical. Fair to say that this is the time in your life when you feel like you fit in best with what you're doing? I'm in a glorious phase in my life. Oh. I know they keep saying that the older you get, the less you give a shit. But I care deeply about mm -hmm. my work every day. I'm I am so passionate about what I do because I see the change that's happening right in front of my eyes. And I know that the numbers uh, of venture dollars going to female founders is hovering under 2% and has forever. But there is change there's so much change and we have male allies that are starting to come in. The Wall Street firms are going to take their time, but believe me, there is change coming. Mm -hmm. There is, it's very inspiring moment. And I love sitting in the seat that I'm in and I love being an advisor to women who need support. It's very, very fulfilling. So let's go to that because I know you also are an advisor, mentor to women. Um, founders, how do you help women founders, female founders, especially those who are just sort of entering into the fray to uh, find their own space and be smart and powerful? Well, I think, you know, if, if you wanted me to sort of share my wisdom, I think you need to give generously of yourself. But I think you need to do that only three times per person. <laughs> if, and that's, that's what I've learned, right? If somebody keeps coming back to the well and they don't return the favor, it's not always quid pro quo. But if you don't see that it's a two-way street, then that person needs to fall off your list because mm -hmm. that way you're going to figure out who's in your club, right? You need to build your own network and you need to have your own ecosystem, I call mm -hmm. it. I call it the mm -hmm. ecosystem of impactful women. And that's what I try to build and grow every day. That's my network. And I love to share it with people and people need to add to it. But if they don't add to it, they get cut out of it. So mm -hmm. be aware of that as you are, mm -hmm. as you're out there growing your business, asking for favors, asking for favors, asking for favors. You mm -hmm. need to show up and give a few along the way. By the way, do people generally give back quickly? And those that are slow are the ones to be wary of. It, has it been in your experience a spontaneous, you know, reciprocal exchange? You know when you meet those people, right? You click right away in there, your mm -hmm. new BFF. And mm -hmm. you're off and running, making good trouble together. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, at, at UBS, I have, I sought them out and I have found them. And together mm -hmm. we are really making stuff happen. So it's, it's very, very exciting. But I think that some people 
are not extroverts, right? I'm an extrovert. It's very easy for me to show up all of me. Other people you have to move more slowly with. But again, if they're asking you for favors, you know, again, I give it the three times rule. You come to me three times, you have to sort of show up with something one of those times. Mm -hmm. Is that the reason why you told me that it takes three women to to um, affect change? Well, the you know, data will show. Yeah. Oh, the data yeah. shows that too. Okay. The data shows that if you have three women on a board of directors, that's when mm -hmm. real change starts to happen. Mm -hmm. You have women in management, that's when the change starts to happen. Not just mm -hmm. one, not an only, because so she's always, yeah, you need to have more than one. And three is the magic number. We're at our last question, believe it or not. What are the mo three most important things to having a mindset for success, do you think, for you, looking backwards your decades of experience? Again, I say I would say give generously of yourself, but to a limit. Build your network, share it and grow it. And when you are asking people for help and asking people for advice, this is going to sound really weird. It's going to make might sound awkward because many times you might be working talking to somebody that's way more senior than you or way older than you. But I would encourage you to ask after they've opened up their resources and, and they've given you help, ask them, is there anything I can do to mm -hmm. help you? And especially like for young women, when I tell them that they should ask that, they're like, what can I do to help, you know, this successful executive? Well, I don't know. Maybe their kid needs help with, um, you know, networking, at, wants to go to their college or wants to understand maybe they want some help on um, something that's tech related you, you just never know and I'll, I'll never forget this woman was looking for a job and she called me and she was interested in the wealth or women's wealth space early on you know I gave her some advice I didn't have an opportunity for her but she said you know is there anything I can do to help you and I was like wow it just stuck mm. with me. And I said, yeah, I'm really trying to build out this network of other women really focused on this. And she introduced me to a woman named Janet Hansen, who founded an organization called 85 Broads, mm. which was a network of female Goldman Sachs alumni. And that mm. woman became my absolute mentor and sponsor. And so you just never know what you can do, mm. but you got to ask. That's a wonderful way for us to end. Very uplifting. I wanted to tell you, thank you so much for taking the time to be with me today. How can our listeners find you online if they wanted to? Well, you can find me on LinkedIn, Jill Faraday Lloyd, F-A-H-E-R-T-Y. And you can find me at the Chance Mantione Group at UBS. You can just Google me. You'll find me. And I'd love to hear from you. And thank you so much for joining me. My pleasure. Thank you, Leslie. This podcast is brought to you by We Global Studios, the first startup innovation studio and digital DIY startup platform for women entrepreneurs around the world. For more information on our guests, this podcast, and many other female founder programs, please visit weglobalstudios.com. I'm your host, Dr. Leslie Knutson. Please drop me a line at mindsetforsuccess at weglobalstudios.com. See you next week.